Let us pray. Father, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, for you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Probably no one doubts that you and I live in extreme days. We see that all around us in terms of the economy. We see it around us as we read the daily news or watch it on television. We see what's going on with the Jews invading the Gaza Strip. We see it in the fact that we will be changing presidents this week. As one president, George W. Bush, leaves office and the new elected president, Barack Obama, takes his place. These are extreme days indeed. It's extreme days like this that take extreme faith. That's what we talked about last week, the need to have extreme faith. What I also know is that extreme faith enables you to dream extreme dreams. Not just any old dream, but God's dream. And that is an extreme dream Indeed. A couple of Bible passages on your outline by way of introduction. The first from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Think about that for a moment. If I were to ask you, do you love him, and your answer is yes, you have absolutely no idea what God has in store for you. Even if you thought about it, even if you wrote something down, God is going to blow your ideas out of the water. That's because he's, that's, he's that kind of God. Second passage, Ephesians 3.20, says, With God's power working in us, God can do much, much more than anything we could ask or imagine. I've got news for you. I've asked God and I've imagined God for things to happen at First Lutheran Church this year. This passage says, if God's power is going to work in us, God will do much, much more than anything we could even come up with. I don't know, does that scare you a little bit? I hope it does. But in extreme days, extreme faith helps us dream those extreme dreams. So one of God's greatest gifts is to give you the ability to imagine or to dream. And so this morning, I want to kind of stretch your imagination a little bit, because that's what God wants to do to you. He wants you to imagine the ways in which he could possibly use you in ways that maybe you've never thought of. And to accomplish this, we're going to take a look at the life of one of my favorite Bible characters. His name is Joshua. In fact, if you got your Bibles, we're going to be just in Joshua chapter 1 this morning. I'm going to point you through a number of verses. And in Joshua, Joshua, just in the first chapter, God teaches us four secrets. Well, they won't be secrets very long because I'm going to share them with you. These are secrets of being used by God. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I just want you to ponder this for a moment. Would you like to be used by God? Do you desire 
to be used by God? You know, would you like this church to be used by God? You know, do you desire to do all you can to see to it that God uses this church? If so, let's talk about these four ways in Joshua chapter 1. If we want to be used by God, if you want his dream for your life, here's the very first thing. Let go of your doubts. Let go of your doubts. See, doubt is is the real enemy of God's dream. Doubt is what limits your potential. Doubt is what causes procrastination. It is doubt that causes you to miss the very best. We're not in James, but in James chapter 1, the apostle there says, we don't want to be like the waves that are kind of pushed here and there by the wind. You know, we don't want to think that we're never going to receive anything from God. So friends, before God can even use you in the way he desires, you've got to dump the doubt. Now, I want you to think about Joshua for a moment. Joshua certainly had a doubt problem. In fact, we might say he lacked self-confidence. Let me tell you at least two reasons why I think he lacked self-confidence. One was he was the successor to Moses. How would you like to follow a man of whom the Bible says was the greatest man who ever lived? In one of my churches, I followed someone who had been the pastor there for 25 years. Wow, 25 years. Imagine the person who ultimately replaced him. It's probably why on my first Sunday, someone walked out the front door, refused to shake my hand, and said, huh, you're no Pastor Garricky. You think that might cause you to have a little bit of self-doubt? Well, I just said thank you, and we moved on. I think there's a second reason. I think it was the magnitude or the size of the assignment that God gave him. Picture yourself standing in Joshua's sandals and, and God comes up to you and puts his arm around you and says, Hey, Josh, I got a job for you, buddy. You know that band of slaves you've been hanging around with for the last 40 years, you know, several million Jews? They've been wandering around out in the desert. Right now, I'm going to take them into the promised land, but there's one problem here, Joshua. In the promised land are seven enemy nations, all of which are bigger and badder and meaner and stronger than you guys, but I want you to lead them in there, and together we're going to take the land. I have a feeling Joshua had a little bit of doubt, probably had a little bit of fear. He had not much confidence, and so just on the verge of this big military campaign that was going to last for quite a number of years, he and God stand on the Jordan River, and God says to Joshua, let me give you a little bit of pep talk. And that's really chapter 1. So four times in chapter 1, God tells Joshua and he tells us to be bold and courageous, to be determined and confident. He says, in effect, Joshua, the first thing you're going to have to do is let go of your doubt. Now, if you've got your Bibles, you see Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. He says, be bold and strong. Some translations say bold and courageous. Some translations say, banish fear and doubt. Remember, the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now, we don't often use the word banish anymore. But banish means to get rid of. It means to eliminate. It means to get out of sight. If God's going to use you, friends, you've got to dump your doubts. 
Now, some of you might be sitting there thinking, well, that's easier said than done. No, it's not. And the reason I say it's not is because doubt is a choice. Every time you doubt your ability, every time you doubt someone else, you're choosing to do that. It's a choice just like a lot of other attitudes. Faith is a choice. Doubt is a choice. Whenever you doubt God, whenever you doubt your abilities, whenever you doubt other people, you choose to do that. Now, I, for one, don't understand this logic. It's stinking thinking as far as, I can, as, I, as far as I'd put it. But there are a lot of people, and there may be some of you here this morning, who believe your doubts, but you doubt your beliefs. Did you get that? Some of you believe your doubts, and you doubt your beliefs. I want to suggest to you that you start doubting your doubts and believing your beliefs. That would make a whole lot more sense. I mean, when doubts come, and believe me, friends, they'll come. Uh, you're going to have somebody say, or you're going to hear the devil say, or you're going to say to yourself, God couldn't possibly use me. Well, friends, admit it. When the doubt comes, say, I have a doubt, but I doubt that doubt. In fact, what I choose to do is believe what God has told me to believe, and that is that he will help me, he will be with me, he will work in my life. I'm going to believe my beliefs. Now, you might be wondering, why do we have so many of these self-doubts? You know, I'm going to give you a couple of reasons. I think one reason we have so many self-doubts is that we are always comparing our abilities. We're always looking around at somebody else. Instead of looking up at God like we ought to look, we look around at other people. You know, what do other people have? All the other people around us have more talent. They have more ability. They have more education. They have more experience. They're, well, some of them are better looking. But, I mean, they're all better looking maybe, and they've got a better background. We can take that list and go on and on and on. But friends, the moment you start comparing yourself to somebody else, you're going to start filling up the self-doubt tank. In fact, the Bible says you're absolutely foolish to compare yourself with someone else. See, when you look around and you say, you know, I'm really nobody. I'm just an average person. I'm just an ordinary person. Remember something, friends. God uses ordinary people. In fact, more often than not, God uses ordinary people just like you and me to do extraordinary things. See, if God used only superstars, not much would get done. If God only used perfect people, nothing would get done. God uses ordinary people just like us who populate the pews here at First Lutheran Church. I mean, think about it. God uses weak people. God uses people with problems. God uses people with mixed motivations. God uses dysfunctional people. God even uses weird people. I mean, God doesn't want us comparing ourselves to anybody else. He says, I made you to be you. You are unique. I, told you, I taught you this once already. But if you don't think so, take your pen, take your thumb, Put a little eye, a little nose, and a smiley face. I got a brand new pen. I got to fix it here. And look at that and remind yourself I really am somebody special. I got a bunch of inmates down in prison again walking around, and they come up and they go, Hey, Doc, I'm somebody 
special. God wants you to be you, so don't compare yourself to other people. I think the second thing that causes us to have self-doubt is that all too often we remember our failures. See, remember our failures is kind of like TiVoing our life and then kind of running that digital tape back over and over and over again. But friends, if you're always focused on your past, you're never going to get into the present, let alone be used by God in the future. In fact, I don't know if any of you really read your Bibles lately. I mean, most of the great leaders of the Bible, I mean, you saw this collection of leaders up front, and guess what? The Bible has nothing on these folks. Moses was a murderer before he ever became a great leader for God. Jacob, whoa, wonderful Jacob, stole his family's inheritance. David was an adulterer, stole Bathsheba from Uriah, and as I read one time, after he found out she was knocked up, he knocked him off. That's the kind of guy, David, who's also called, what, a man after God's own heart. Abraham gave his wife away twice. I think on the back of his camel, he had a bumper sticker that said, save my life, take my wife. Paul was a religious terrorist who thought he was doing God a favor by killing Christians. Peter was a hard-driving, hard-drinking, hard-cussing, salty sailor before God got a hold of him. All I'm saying is God uses people with checkered past, and to that we ought to all breathe a sigh of relief and say, thank you. See, God says, I don't really care where you've been. What matters to me today is what direction your feet are headed right now. In fact, God so much wants you to know that, that he built your body that way, if you actually think about it. It's a kind of a physical reminder on what to focus. For example, God put two eyes in your head. Did he put them in the front or in the back? Well, he put them in the front so that you could look forward rather than to always look back on your past. When God attached two ears to your cranium, did he make them face forward or face backwards? Well, he put them forward so you could hear the promises of God rather than to have to listen to what everybody's saying about you behind your back. When God put arms on your body, he put them in front because he wants you to reach out in love to other people and not always spend time trying to pat yourself on the back. When he gave you two feet and put them on your ankles, do they face forward or do they face backwards? Well, they face forward because he wants you to walk forward in faith and not backwards in fear. In fact, in your entire anatomy, there's only one part facing your past. That's why they call it the behind. And I think that's part of God's wonderful sense of humor. And he's saying, friends, some stuff in your life you really ought to leave behind, like your doubts. Here's the second L. Look for a promise. You want to be used by God? Look for a promise. Thirteen times in the book of Joshua... The word promise is used. They're standing on the banks of the Jordan River, ready for a major military campaign. And in verse 3, what does it say? I promise you what I promised Moses. You know, wherever you put your foot, you're going to be able to take that land. See, friends, if God makes a promise to you, he will keep it. If he says he's going to use you, he will use you. If he says he's going to bless you, he will bless you. If he says, I'm going to protect you, God will protect you. Now, at the end of his life, when Joshua is very old, he's about to die, 
he looks back on his life, and in chapter 23, verse 24, he says, My time has come to die, and every one of you knows that God has given you all the good things he promised. Every promise of God he has kept, not one of them has failed. Question, do you want to be used by God? If so, then you got to get into this book. This is the book of promise. I told you last week that there are over 7,000 promises in the Bible. They are like blank checks waiting for you to cash them in. If you're going to grow in faith, you've got to build on the promises of God. That's why every week I'm going to give you an extreme faith verse. I gave you one last week. Anybody memorize it? Can you stand up and say it? I saw your hand go up. Okay. Come on, folks. I'm not kidding. I'm giving these to you. There you go. There you go. Thank you, Tommy. The rest of you, I'm just, I'm going to give you a major assumption. That's that you know it, but you're too embarrassed to say so. <laughs> I'm giving you another one. Here it is. It's right on your sheet, Ephesians 3.20. With God's power working in us, we can do much, much more than anything we can ask or imagine. Again, small, medium, and large, tall, grande, vente, however you want to do it. Maybe some of you just need to memorize two words, God's power. Maybe some of you just need to remember much, much more than we can ever ask or imagine. I hope you memorize it because you've got to get some of these promises in your life so that when the doubt or the discouragement comes along, God can bring this stuff up to your memory. Now, what does God promise us? If you say, I want to be used for your purposes, well, I'll tell you, right here in Joshua 1 are three things God promises. One is he promises strength. Joshua 1, verse 5, no one will be able to stand against you. See, where God guides, God provides. He gives you strength. Second of all, he gives you success. Joshua 1, verse 7 says, you will be successful. In fact, God so much wants you to be successful, he promises it twice in the first chapter. Now, of course, he's not promising to make you successful at what you want to do. He's not promising to make you successful at what you think will be fun. But God guarantees you that if you choose to do what he wired you up to be and wired you up to do, you will be successful. If you are not successful in life today, friends, I just tell you this, get with God's program. I mean, God promises to bless what he blesses. God also promises support. Verse 9, I will be with you wherever you go. Now, would you like to move from discouragement and doubt to trust and acceptance? Grab a hold of a promise of God. There are 7,000 of them in here. Somebody asked me last week if I said that. They said, Dr. Kolb, could you give me a list of them? I said, sure. They're right here. Well, I was kind of hoping you had these printed out for me. I said, no, they're there for you to find. I'm going to point one of them out for you, though, Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. It says, always remember what is written in this book, 
study it day and night, and be sure to obey everything that's written in it. If you do this, you will what? Be wise and successful. Anybody here want to be wise and successful? The answer is right there. The promise is God can make you wise and successful, but with every promise, there's a premise. What is the premise? Remember the word. That's memorizing it. Study the word. Obey the word. Some of you know General Douglas MacArthur. MacArthur thought Joshua was one of the greatest military leaders who ever lived. The reason he thought so was because his life was one battle after another battle, and yet Joshua never, ever gave up. Now, let me ask you, do you ever feel like your life is one battle after another one? You barely get done with one problem, and here comes another one. I mean, you've got one thing accomplished, and the other thing just kind of pops up again. It's like playing that silly kids game, you know, what's that called, whack-a-mole? You know, you pound one mole down the ground, another mole pops up someplace else. What do you do when one is done and another one pops up? Well, you do the third thing. Here's the third secret. Lean on the Lord. We're saying, leave your doubts behind. We're saying, look for a promise of God. But now we're saying, lean on the Lord. Now, I can lean forward on this podium. That's one thing. But I lean on it. Why? Because I trust it to hold me up. No way would I lean on it if I thought I'd fall over. When you lean on God, friends, it's much more than saying, I believe in God. It is also saying, not only do I believe on God, but I am trusting him to hold me up. Joshua 1, verse 5. No one will be able to defeat you all your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forget you. God says, lean on me. And and every time that Joshua leaned on God, he won. Remember the story about Josh fit the battle of Jericho and the walls come tumbling down? When he leaned on God, the walls fell down. Anybody remember battle number two? Jericho was battle number one. Battle number two was against a little town. It was so small it only had two letters in its name. A-I. A-I. It was so small that Joshua said, we don't even need all the troops. We can beat up that little dirt water town all by ourselves. Guess what? They went down there they got smashed. And suddenly Joshua remembered, whoops there, (laughs) I need to lean on God. Who are you leaning on today? Are you leaning on the approval of other people? That's a pretty shaky foundation. Because people will let you down. Not always because they mean to, but people just get tired sometimes. You can't even trust yourself. You know why you can't even trust yourself? How many of you have made promises to yourself that you've broken? I mean, we break promises all the time to ourselves. So if you can't depend on other people and you can't depend on yourself, who are you going to depend on? Well, let me give you another Bible passage to tuck in the back of your brain. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And what? He'll make your path straight. Leaning on the Lord is scary. But that's what leaning in faith is all about. It's discovering what will actually hold you up. We got one last secret here of being used by God. And that's launch out into faith.
Launch out into faith. You gotta leave your doubt behind. You know, look for some promises. Learn to lean on the Lord. But then you need to launch out. See, there comes a time in life, friends, where you gotta stop talking about it. You gotta stop thinking about it. And I know this is gonna sound terrible. Maybe you even need to stop praying about it. Now, don't walk out of here this morning and, and think that I told you not to pray anymore. Don't go telling anybody I told you to stop thinking or talking. But sometimes we talk and think and pray and we never, ever pull the trigger on it. Sometimes we just need to launch out in faith, launch out with all of your fears, and just do something like the Nike ad tells us. Joshua 1, verse 10. I'm sure he had thought about it. He talked about it. He prayed about it. But verse 10, he finally had to do something about it. Verse 10, then Joshua issued instructions to the leaders to tell the people to get ready to cross the Jordan. This was the moment of truth. They were now going to take the plunge, literally, <clears throat> because they were going to cross the Jordan River. Now, a few of you may have seen the Jordan River. Some of you have a general idea of what the Jordan River looks like just from the Bible. I got to tell you, the Jordan River is not really much of a river. It's not a really big river. It's only about 100 feet wide at its widest spot. It's only about 20 feet deep at its deepest spot, except during flood season. During flood season, when all the snow melts off the mountaintops around it, suddenly the Jordan River becomes a rushing, torrential dangerous river. Guess when the children of Israel arrived at the Jordan River? Flood season. That's kind of typical of God, isn't it? God puts you right there when everything looks overwhelming. Kind of reminds me of a sermon title. I don't remember my sermon anymore, but it was called Helpless and Hopeless, Just Where God Wants Us. God sometimes has to put us in an impossible situation so he can show us that he's the only one who can take care of this. They're standing there and saying to Joshua, I bet, how are we going to get across? I mean, there are no bridges, there are no camel ferries, there's no pontoons, there's not a hovercraft in sight. How is Josh going to get several million Jews across the river? Well, this is when God says, <clears throat> do you remember 40 years ago when we walked up to the Red Sea? And I had Aaron hold his rod out, and I parted the waters of the Red Sea, and you all walked through it. You remember that? He said, we're going to do something kind of like that, only different. This time, you're going to start walking into the river. And when your foot hits the river, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to dam up the river. And, it, and the Bible says he, he pushed back and piled up the water 17 miles back. Wouldn't that have been kind of cool to see? Imagine walking around and go see a pile of river water 17 miles back, and all the people walk through. He said, I'm going to do a miracle, but first, you've got to put your foot in the river. Again, I could ask this question, friends. What's your Jordan River? What is the barrier that you can never, ever seem to get around? Well, I've heard this for years from people. Oh, God can't use me because dot, dot, dot. Well, I can never have God's blessing in my life because dot, dot, dot. I mean, what is it, friends, that's standing in the way of God using you 
I could even say this to the church. What's standing in the way of this congregation from God using us in the way that God wants to use us? See, we need to realize that the first step is always the hardest step. The hard part is getting into the river, then watching God do a miracle. John Ortberg is a pastor. He used to be up at Willow Creek near Chicago. He wrote a book called, uh, In Order to Walk on the Water, you got to First Get Out of the Boat. See, what do you do when you know something is God's will, but you're scared to death to do it? Answer, you just do it anyway. You do the thing that you fear the most. You fight the fear. See, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is moving on in spite of fear. When God tells Joshua, be bold and courageous, he's not saying, look, buddy, get rid of your fear. Courage is doing it in spite of the fact that you're shaking in your sandals. The faith and the miracles come when you take that step. You need to launch out into faith. Now, when I did this message, I was thinking to myself, this message would probably resonate real well with a bunch of younger people. But then I was thinking for a moment, I don't know why I thought about this, but the fact that First Lutheran is going to celebrate its 90th year this coming May, that means, chances are, we got a bunch of people sitting out here who say, well, Pastor, good for you. I'm glad, that, I'm glad youngins like you and younger can do this, but me... I'm too old for this. I've served my time. I'm retired. Well, friends, I got news for you. Retire is what you do when you go to bed at night. Reenlist is what you do every morning. There's no retirement in God's army. Got that? No retirement. Besides, how old was Joshua when he was asked to take on this job? 80, 8, 0. That means i got a good 16 years in me before God gives me a real big challenge, huh? Maybe. We did a launch out in faith and said, God, I have no idea how many days you've got left in my tank. But whatever you put me on this earth to do, here I am. I want to be used by you. Don't be waiting around for a good time. Even Ecclesiastes 11, verse 4 said, if you're waiting for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. Ephesians, again, God can do anything. Does more than you can ask for or imagine. Now, you cannot imagine what God could do with your life if you would be totally and completely in his head. And there is no greater thrill, no greater thrill in this world than, be, than being used by God. There's no thrill, greater thrill than knowing that you are in the zone that God placed you in. So I'd ask you, friends, if God is not using you, what in the world are you doing with your life? The answer is you're wasting it. God's not using it. You're wasting your life. And sadly, man, there are way too many people in this world who never, ever feel the thrill of being used by God, even though that's why God made them. Why is that? I'll tell you why it is. Because they won't let go of their doubts. They want to sit around and have their own personal little pity party. They won't let go of their doubts. They won't look for a promise. They won't lean on the Lord. 
and they're too scared to launch out in faith. Friends, I just beg you, don't make that kind of mistake. Don't. I mean, one day when you stand in front of Jesus, you have to give an account. All those doubts are going to seem pretty petty and pretty pathetic. You need to launch out in faith. In these extreme days, days when extreme faith is so absolutely necessary, we need extreme dreams. In fact, I took the word dream, D-R-E-A-M, and I want to end by just encouraging you and challenging you one more time, just thinking about these letters. The letter D, friends, I want to encourage you and challenge you to dare to dream. Dare to dream. That's the way God wired you up. The letter R, remove the doubt. Start doubting your doubts and believing your beliefs. The letter E, envision the possibilities. I remember standing on the back. Oh, it was a little deck on the back of the original building at Lord of Life up in La Fox with somebody. And we were looking out the back and understand the church was sitting on 16 acres of ground. And somebody else was standing there, and they said, what are you looking at? I said, I'm looking at the new building. And they said, what? You know, all they saw was grass and trees. But I was envisioning the future, seeing the future. That's what God says. In the, in the last days, old men and young men are going to dream dreams, envision the possibilities. The letter A, I would say, Attempt some great things for God. Attempt some great things for God. One of my favorite missionaries is William Carey. William Carey says, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. See, that's what extreme faith can do with God's extreme faith, extreme dream for your life. In the letter M, I would just say it's time to move forward. Let go of the doubt. Look for God's promise. Lean on him. Launch out in faith. God's work, that's his extreme dream, done his way with extreme faith, always has his, his supply. That's extreme blessing. Let's pray. Father, I admit that I often doubt my abilities. I'm sure that there are other people here this morning, too, that often doubt their abilities. There are times, Father, when we have doubts about you, and there are times when we doubt your desire to use us or even doubt your desire to use this church. Father, I pray that you would forgive me, that you would forgive all of us for the, all the excuses we have ever used to cover up our lack of faith, Excuses like, I was too busy, or others are better qualified, or my hurts or my past prevent me from serving you. Forgive me for those times, Lord. Forgive me for comparing myself to others. Today, Father, we want to let go of doubt, and we want to launch out in faith. We want you to use our life, and we want you to bless our life. Father, help us stay in your word, the Bible, to read it, to study it, to memorize it, to obey it, so that we can know and claim your promises. 
Father, we want to trust you to use us. And so please take the little seed of faith that is in our heart and make it grow. We pray this in the strong and powerful name of Jesus, who has also taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our closing blessing is found on page four along with our closing song. Uh, I would ask that you please stand for our blessing and our closing song. Dear friends, prepare the way for the Lamb of God who will come again in glory. Make room in your hearts for him and remain blessed in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen. We are baptized by faith with water and the Spirit. We are new creations. Amen. Lean on him and launch out in faith. God bless you. See you all real soon.